listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. As, as the Lord gave me this on Tuesday and, and asked me to share it with you guys, um, it has literally hit me every day. The, the power of the Holy Ghost, the strength and the faith on this um, has hit me every day. Today's going to be no different. Actually, if you got my message this morning, um, I saved the best for last. And um, I really, really believe, and you'll see this as the, in the teaching today, uh, I really, really believe that um, today's topic of these four enemies of your nonstop victory, today's topic um, is so essential for the believer because it really, as you heard me say, affects whether or not or how much God can use you in his kingdom. And um, hey, Jamie, every one of us, every single one of us are um, workers that God has anointed. Every one of us. And by the way, as you're getting on with me today, uh, share the broadcast this morning and uh, let somebody know. Hey, Nancy, good to see you. Um, it's so vital that we are in position. You know, when you get the eternal mindset that uh, Jesus is coming so soon that people are not ready for heaven, when you get that kind of an eternal mindset and recognize that people need Jesus and not just that they need Jesus, but that you might be all of Jesus somebody ever sees, you know, and in fact, that's a great thing to keep in your spirit all the time. I might be the only Jesus anybody ever experiences. I might be the only Jesus anybody ever gets. And, um, you know, people come from broken homes and relationships and rough lives and things that the devil's used to try to destroy them. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing because, <clears throat> You know, if you grew up in a good home, it's almost unthinkable to you uh, to, to imagine this, but it's almost like, you know, you got people that come out of places where no one's ever told them they love them. You know, they come out of places where there was abuse, physical and verbal, emotional, uh, and, and nobody's ever really shown them love or acceptance. People have been uh, beaten down and it's like, uh, you know, they don't have the kind of environment that you may be blessed to have. But man, you might be the only Jesus that people ever see. And so it's so important that you're in position to be that anointed worker in the kingdom God's called you to be. And, uh, and that's why we're dealing with this. And, and, and we're going to hit this final enemy of nonstop victory in your life. Um, and, and, and without a doubt, this is such a slimy trick of the enemy uh, I'm going to start with you again today. Uh, I'm going to start in Romans chapter 12 and, uh, I've got a bunch to give you and I know you have your notes ready and everything. Um, but we've got to capture this, the mind of God on this because there's work to be done and you're anointed, you know, you are anointed. In fact, that's one thing the devil tries to lie to people about, you know, well, you're, who, who do you think you are? Look at all the things you've done in your life. Look at where you've come from. You know, don't get too high on the horse, you know. And then the devil talks to you like you're nobody, tries to make you feel like you're nobody, 
tries to make you feel useless. That's a lie from hell. You are anointed. You are anointed. In fact, let's start with that today. Put it in the comments. I am anointed. Do you know, you don't ever have to wonder whether or not you're anointed. Am I anointed today? Am I anointed? Am I anointed? Have I been anointed this week? You don't ever have to wonder if you are anointed. The Bible is very clear that if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, you are anointed. Thank you, Jesus. You are anointed. You don't ever have to wonder about it. You are anointed. How, how is that? The reason it's true, good morning, Carrie. <clears throat> the reason it's true is because the Bible uh, tells us very clearly that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He dwells in you. Well, the Holy Spirit is the anointing. <clears throat> Holy Spirit is the anointing. Did you know the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power. So the Holy Ghost is the anointing. If you've got the Holy Spirit, which you do as a believer, then you don't ever have to wonder. You don't ever have to doubt. Well, am I really anointed to do this? Am I really anointed? Yes, you're anointed. No question about it. And any devil that would tell you you're not, any lying spirit, you just rebuke that thought. Rebuke it. Say in the name of the devil, you're a liar. I am anointed. I mean, you ought to get up, look in the mirror and say, you are anointed to accomplish your purpose. You're anointed to accomplish your purpose. And you are. You are. Hallelujah. I am anointed. So never doubt that. Um, You have everything and more that it takes to accomplish your purpose. You don't have just enough. You've got more than enough to accomplish your purpose. That anointing overflows out of you. Did you know the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19 in the Amplified Version that you become a body that is filled and flooded with God himself. Hallelujah. You become a body. It says that you have the richest measure of the divine presence. Think about that the richest measure of the divine presence, that you are filled and flooded with God himself. If, you, if you've gotten on and you haven't shared this yet, share this today. Help somebody today to get that kind of knowledge, understanding, and encouragement that you are filled and flooded with God himself. The richest measure of the divine presence. That'll make you run around your house. Thank you, Jesus. And so the enemy knows that you're anointed. He knows that you have the power of the Holy Spirit at your disposal. He knows that. In fact, the enemy fears you greatly. You know, we get this idea. We watch movies that Hollywood produces and, you know, people are afraid of demons and stuff that's haunting their house and, you know, paranormal activity and all this other stuff. The devil is greatly afraid of you. Greatly afraid of you. Oh, yes. There's no question about that. Look how the devil responded to Jesus. I mean, a legion of demons responded to Jesus, ran from the graveyard to the shore, bowed down low before him and begged him 
not to torment or harass them. The devil, demons, an army of demons, was greatly afraid of Jesus. Well, guess what you have? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're filled with the same power Jesus was filled with, you're filled with. The devil is greatly afraid of you, of your potential, your power, the anointing, the purpose God placed on your life, your position, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The devil fears you. He's in terror of you and your life and your family. You're not trying to duck and dodge demons and devils and evil spirits. No, they are trying to avoid you because they're afraid of what you have on the inside of you. And you got to know it. You got to know what you carry in the supernatural realm. You got to know that's who you are. Don't doubt it. You can't doubt it. You got to know it. Know who you are in Christ. So we've dealt with these areas this week. And, and I'll tell you, if you can go back and listen to these again and again, we're making a playlist on YouTube for you uh, to go back. If you would, those that listen to the podcast, you can listen to these four episodes over and over. But on the first day, we dealt with a spirit of doubt and unbelief. That's the first thing the devil uses to try to keep you from nonstop victory. What did he do to Eve? First, first he questioned God's word, then manipulated God's word, then contradicted God's word, which led to disobeying God's word. So it's a spirit of doubt and unbelief. It stops God from moving in your life. I refuse to doubt God's word. Well, then what? On the second day, we dealt with a spirit of fear. The enemy uses a spirit of fear to try to keep people from nonstop victory. And you got to take authority over that spirit of fear. And you declare what Paul said to Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Power and love and a sound mind or self-control. So on day two, we dealt with that, a spirit of fear. On day three, which was yesterday, I just, my mind just went blank. <laughs> You're like, what happened? <laughs> you said, Tiffany popped her head up like, like there was, like the, like the broadcast went up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you should have seen her face come up over the computer. He popped her head <laughs> We dealt with the spirit of offense. Yesterday we dealt with the spirit of offense that the devil tries to use against you. And you know, somebody put in the comments yesterday that uh, I, think, I think it was uh, John Bevere that uh, wrote the book, The Bait of Satan. Uh, that wrote the, the Bait of Satan. But uh, somebody popped that in yesterday. And um, we dealt with the spirit of offense. How often have you seen this happen? How often have you seen people get offended? How often have you seen people get bent out of shape, leave their church, talk about their pastor, talk about the, their brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, spreading lies, spreading rumors, spreading gossip. How often have you seen this happen? The devil tries to use 
a spirit of offense. You know, just because somebody commits an offense doesn't mean you have to be offended. Just because somebody does something, yeah, Erica, that is, that is a great book. Just because somebody commits an offense doesn't mean you have to be offended. Patricia said, my entire church was destroyed from this. That's very sad to see that people are falling into that trap of becoming offended. Falling into the trap of becoming offended. It's a wicked thing because the Bible's very clear that we have to make room for one another's faults, that we've got to forgive one another, even if it's valid. You know, even if somebody really did do something against you, you got to forgive, make room for their faults and move on. Don't allow bitterness to creep in, unforgiveness to set up shop in your heart. So we dealt with that yesterday. And it's a very, very devious trick of the enemy to get Christians to fall into unforgiveness and bitterness and, and all these things. <clears throat> Destroys your life and keeps you from nonstop victory. Today on part four, I want to hit you with this, what I believe is one of the most dangerous things, and that is... <clears throat> an apathetic spirit, spirit of apathy, spirit of apathy. That's today. That's number four, a spirit of apathy. You see people getting apathetic, uh, in the kingdom of God. What a mistake. What a danger. What a danger. Uh, the book that was, the book was titled the bait of Satan that we, uh, was in the comments yesterday on, on the spirit of offense, but get this now. Number four is the spirit of apathy, an apathetic Spirit, an apathetic mindset, apathetic lifestyle. Um, it has to be dealt with, has to be dealt with. And let me explain to you uh, why this is so dangerous. I was teaching one time on how to be a successful soul winner. And as the Lord was showing me things, what does it take to be a successful soul winner? Well, number one, we know that it's going to have to take uh, boldness for you to step out and boldly tell people about Jesus and share the gospel with them. It takes boldness. No question about that. It takes wisdom. God has to give you the words to speak. Do you know, it's not just the gospel message, but many times as you're dealing with somebody, the Holy Spirit will give you words to speak in wisdom that will touch that person's heart, bring them to Jesus. So it takes boldness but it also takes wisdom, also takes wisdom. But what else does it take? Urgency. It takes urgency. Knowing time is short. Time is short. And I got to get this work done now. I can't wait 20 years to accomplish my purpose. I got to get this work done now. It takes urgency. But what else? Number four, it takes compassion. It takes compassion. And that is the opposite of apathy. When you get into that spirit of apathy, you just stop caring about what's going on in the world. You stop caring about what people are dealing with. You kind of put life on cruise control. You put your blinders on and not in a good way. And you ignore the needs of men. You ignore the needs of families of your generation, of your area. And you just, you don't care. People get apathetic in the kingdom. And they just, you know, as long as I'm doing fine, I don't care how anybody else is doing. And that, that's a trick of the devil because it takes you out of God's plan. It takes you out of God's plan. You cannot have uh, an apathetic spirit. You cannot operate that way. Let's see, what is the actual, uh, 
definition in the dictionary. A lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern. Think about that now. That's That's the dictionary definition. Apathy, a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern. And that's what people show when they fall into this trap. Good morning, Lena. That's what people show when they fall into this trap of an apathetic spirit. They have a lack of interest of what's going on in the world, what's going on with people, the plight of man, a lack of enthusiasm. They just don't care. I don't care to invite anybody to church. I don't care to win souls. I don't care to, you know, I'm just, I got so much on my plate. I'm just worried about me. Lack of interest and a lack of enthusiasm and a lack of concern, a lack of concern. They're not concerned. They don't care. You know, oh yeah, my neighbor's going to hell. You know, I don't know. I can't do it. They don't care. And that's a trick of the devil to keep us in a place where we just don't care about what's going on around us. And there are many. Now listen, it's not just Christians. There, there are whole churches. No, not under depression. Uh, there are whole churches, whole churches that literally don't care about the lost. They don't give altar calls. They don't do outreaches. They don't reach uh, uh, or even put in place things for their people and give them ammunition to reach the lost, to pray. They don't pray for the lost. They don't reach out to the lost. They don't ask God, empower me to be a soul winner. Empower me to see uh, new people come into your kingdom. I'll tell you, that's one of the things we're getting ready to do this weekend at Miracle Word Church uh, is we're getting ready to empower our people to believe God supernaturally, and I've got people watching right now from our church, we're getting ready to believe God supernaturally to use us in one week to bring people to Jesus. And we're going to set our faith for people that we know, people in this area, people God may lead us to, to believe and pray for them and then bring them on Easter Sunday to be saved and to be changed by God's power. We're going to set our faith. We're not, you know what? We're, we're going to actually, we're not just praying God save Florida. That's a useless prayer. God save West Palm Beach. That's a useless prayer. Be more specific than that. And and we're going to put something in every person's hand this weekend. uh, Something that Billy Graham used for many years called Operation Andrew. And we're going to put down as many names as we can. If we can fill out 10 names, there's 10 lines on the card. There's 10 lines on the card. We're going to put down 10 people that we can think of that we know that we talk to that are not serving Jesus. And we're going to put, we're not just going to put their names down, but we're going to covenant to pray for those people. We're going to covenant to pray for those people. And then we're going to invite and then bring those people into the house of God on Easter Sunday, believing God for salvation. That's right, Sherry. Specific prayer is key. And so we're not just asking God, save Florida, Lord, save America, save what? No, no, no. I'm going to give specific prayer for specific people. And I'm not stopping there. I'm going to invite those people. I'm going to talk to those people. I'm going to bring those people into the house of God and believe that God's going to turn their life around supernaturally. And we're going to see, we're not letting our faith, uh, go backwards off of this. God spoke and said, believe me, for a tithe of the city. That's 12,000 souls in West Palm Beach. So that's where my faith is. That's where my confession is. God's going to give us 12,000.
12,000 souls in Jesus' name. God's going to give us 12,000 souls in Jesus' name. God's going to give us 12,000 souls in the mighty name of Jesus. And so we're going to be very specific about it, very orchestrated about this. And we're reaching out to touch those that we know that need Jesus and bring them in. What does that take? It takes a care. Look at Amanda uh, and Marco said, I accepted Jesus during an Easter service. I accepted Jesus during an Easter service. Praise God. And we're believing for the same. People that don't know Jesus, people that don't know Jesus are coming into the kingdom by the power of the Holy Ghost in the mighty name of Jesus. We're going to be faithful workers. Well, you can't do that if you have a spirit of apathy, a spirit that doesn't care, as you've probably heard (laughs) for many years. It's an us for no more shut the door mentality. Do you know there's churches I've been to, they don't want new people coming in. That's a bother. You know, who are they? What are they doing here? They actually have that attitude. They'll see new people come into the church and say, who are they? What are they doing here? Why are they in my seat? That's where I sit. Literally. There was a, I, there was a guy told a story. He was a, uh, attending a church where they had those pews, you know, if you see the old style churches with the pews, but you knew you were in one of those churches that, that, that was old school when they had the plaques on the side of the pew telling which family in the church donated the pew to the church and has their name inscribed on the plaque, you know, and a, a visitor came in and came and didn't know any of anything like that. Didn't know that families had donated pews and the visitor came in just wanting a good seat, went down and sat in a pew closer to the front. Oh man, when that family came in and saw that that person who doesn't come to this church was uh, sitting in our family's pew, They went down there and said, well, who do you think you are? Do you not see our name on the side of the pew? And demanded that they get up and get out of their seat. Well, the person left. You know, you're not going to be treated like that and stick around. So here's the mentality. People have more desire to have a reserved seat with their name on it than they do to see people getting saved or coming into the kingdom, people being added to the church. Unbelievable. But see, that's an apathetic spirit. They don't care. They don't care. And I had you go to Romans chapter 12 because I want to I read this passage to you. Listen to this. I'll read Romans 12 uh, verses 9 through 11. Let love be genuine. Let your love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Look at verse 11. Get this in your spirit now. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Let me say that again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in in spirit, serve the Lord. There it is. Do not be slothful in zeal. That's what happens when apathy hits you. That's exactly what happens. When apathy hits you, you stop caring and your zeal passes away. Have you ever seen somebody when they first get saved and how fervent they are and how zealous they are and they're there every Sunday and they're lifting their hands and they're praising and they're praying and they're giving and they're telling people about Jesus. And if they're not careful, as their life goes on in Christ, if they don't stay on top of that, 
then the, it begins to fade, <clears throat> begins to fade. Maybe you've heard uh, people use this phrase, the honeymoon phase, the honeymoon phase. And then, you know, which I think is a terrible way to put it, but you know, people all excited and then they lose their fervor. They lose their fire. You can't be that way. The Bible's commanding us here. Don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, fervent in spirit. You know, what, what was the issue that Jesus had with the church in the book of Revelation? The, the issue he had, he said, I know your works, Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. I know your works. I know your works. He said, you're not hot or cold. He said, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. <clears throat> So it's like God saying, I would rather you either be totally cold to the things of God, totally cold out somewhere else, you know, doing something else or totally on fire. Basically God's saying, I would have more respect for you if you just denied my ways and were honest about it. Or if you were all the way on fire, hot and honest about it and using it, but because you're straddling the middle, you're not cold, nor are you hot. You're lukewarm. And Jesus said, it makes me sick. I will vomit you out of my mouth. There's nothing worse than a lukewarm Christian. Nothing worse than a, a, a Christian who treats their Christianity like a hobby. This is not a part-time thing. This is not some hobby. It's not one small part of my life. It is my life. I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher. I'm saying that because I'm a Christian. It is my life. That's right, Liz. They lose their first love lose their first love. And, and so what, what's the story here? That they many times, maybe like Galatians says, they've grown weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Do not grow weary while doing good. Do not grow weary while doing good. Press in, press in and stay on fire and, and keep that supernatural compassion. Do you know that's one of the things I pray for? Prayed again this morning for it. Lord, morning Ted, Lord, give me a compassion for people like I've never had. Give me a love for people like I've never had in Jesus' name. Lord, let my heart be touched for those that are hurting, broken, those that are in sin, those that need a savior. Help me, Jesus, to love them like you love them. Don't let me become jaded. Don't let me become apathetic. Don't let me lose my concern, my compassion, my love for people. That's what Jesus had. That's what the apostles had. That's what we need. That's what we need. <clears throat> Amen. And so you start to realize it's not just, you can't just it, it, it be part, you know, talk is cheap. <clears throat> it can't be just part of your, you know, your verbiage. Yeah, you know, we love people. We love people. It can't be just something you say. It's got to be what you do. It's got to be what you do. Let me show you 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 Verses 17 and 18, the Bible says, uh, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Amen. In deed and in truth. What good does it, it's like we read yesterday in James, what good does it, see, if you see somebody 
who, who uh, is naked or hungry or whatever, and you say, be blessed. Yeah, well, don't just say be blessed. Clothe the naked. Feed the hungry, right? That's the difference. Compassion doesn't say, praying for you, brother, be blessed. No, clothe the naked. Feed the hungry. That's why we don't uh, neglect to do those things in this ministry. That's why we work to, uh, to, to feed. Every day we're feeding the hungry. Every day, hundreds of people. We've dedicated ourselves to it. We've vowed to do it. Amen. Ida said, what verse was that? 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. You can't just do it in word. It must be done in deed. I got to show somebody I love them. I can't just say, I love you, I love you, I love you. I actually have to show you that I love you. How can I show them that I love them, right? And here's the key, isn't it? Because compassion makes you do something different. Compassion makes you do something different. What did God do? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. Let me fix my mic. God so loved the world that he gave. So love's an action. Love is an action. So compassion will cause you to do something. Compassion will cause you to do something. I can't just say, I love you, I love you. No, love is shown by actions. We've talked about it a little bit on the broadcast before, how we, uh, you know, we've even mentioned things like the five love languages. We know that people even receive love differently and they give love differently. You know, some people need compliments and they need that verbal affirmation. Some people need physical touch and hugs and kisses and that's what they need. Some people, they need those acts of service. Some people need to receive gifts to feel loved. Some people need to spend quality time with you to feel loved. But see, it's interesting that all those things that I just said are actions. They're actions. They're actions. You got to do something. Compassion looks and sees and does. That's what God did. God so loved the world. What, what was up with the world? The world was in trouble. We were dead in trespasses and in sins. There was no way to be made right before God and be brought into right standing with God. There was no way. The law of Moses couldn't do it. Nothing previous to that could do it. There, there had to be a new covenant. There had to be a new way. There was no way. And God looked at the world with such love and compassion that he said, I'm going to give them my only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no other way except through Jesus. And God knew that. And his compassion for the world said, you know what? I'm going to give the greatest gift that's ever been given. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so you have to love. You have to love. What happens when you start to love? What happens when you begin to love others? Look what happened in the Bible when compassion. See, that's truly the, the difference, isn't it? You can either be apathetic or you can be empathetic. You either have apathy or you have empathy. And so just so that everybody is on the same page, we'll give you also the dictionary definition of empathy. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Did you know the Bible says that about Jesus? That in the book of Hebrews, that we have a high priest 
who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That's Jesus. Jesus. We have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And so there it is. Touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So Jesus understood what it was that we had to deal with. And even in his earthly ministry, nonstop compassion came out of Christ and made him take action. Woo! Hallelujah. Look with me in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to see this in action in Jesus' life. What did it cause him to do? What did it cause him to do? Well, Mark chapter 6. Um, <clears throat> I'll read you verses 33 and 34. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from the towns, all the towns, and got there ahead of them. Verse 34. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do? And so he began to teach them many things. Look at that. The great shepherd began to shepherd them. What caused him to do that? The Bible says, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep who had no shepherd. So what did he do? He began to teach them many things. You know what Jesus did? Started discipling people. Started discipling people. I love you. I have compassion on you. So let me teach you. Let me teach you. You see that his love, his compassion caused him to reach out and train and teach those who were like sheep with no shepherd. See, that's, that's, that's the thing you get even talk about soul winning, soul winning. God didn't call us to just, uh, have converts, make converts. No, that's the beginning. He called us to make disciples. That's a whole different ball game. Called us to make disciples. That's, that, that's, that's beyond praying a prayer. That's beyond hearing the gospel and, and coming and raising your hand and coming to an altar, praying a prayer and coming into the kingdom. That's like being birthed out of your mother's womb. But what's necessary after that? You got to raise children. You don't just birth children. You raise children. And that's the same in the kingdom. You don't just make converts. You make disciples. That's raising the children. That's taking them from uh, a being an infant in Christ. That's taking them from being a baby in Christ, immature in Christ, teaching, 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 and building them up through discipleship until they're mature in Christ. That's discipleship. And let me tell you something. That's the important part. That's the important part. And I've never understood why churches, they just are happy to see a number and then they throw, well, you know, if they're meant to come back, they'll come back. If they're meant to be here, they'll be here. You know, we're, we're just starting as a church. Miracle Word Church is just, last week was our first Sunday ever. We're just starting as a church. But you better believe that we've already got things in place, systems in place, so that we don't have things fall through the cracks. I don't want things falling through the cracks. And so we have systems in place. I, 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 listen, I put systems in place as an evangelist to say, listen, if I go to a church and they don't have a proper follow-up uh, program, they don't have a, a, a proper discipleship program, I'm not letting things fall through the cracks anymore. I'll disciple them myself. 
And we built our discipleship program while we were still only evangelists. And now we're incorporating it in our church and evangelism. Both. Because I don't want anybody falling through the cracks. Amen. Hallelujah. And so the thing is, when you look at it, it's, um, it's very interesting because it's like churches saying, you know, we, we, we're really interested in having babies, but we're not really interested at all in raising them. That's that mindset. So it's, it's enough for them if you pray a prayer. We were at a church one time. People came to the altar to be saved, but then we noticed after the prayers were prayed, no ushers talked to them, directed them anywhere. No literature was given to them. Nobody prayed with them. Nobody took their information. So what happens? Well, I don't know. But we asked the pastor after the service. Hey, we noticed that after people got saved today, nobody uh, talked to them. Nobody got their information. Nobody followed up. He said, yeah, if they're supposed to be here, they'll come back. <laughs> it's like, what? What? That's like saying, you know, we just had a baby and the doctor put it over on that table under the, the lamp. But if that baby needs to breastfeed, it'll crawl over here and find its mom and come eat. No, you got to pick that baby up. You got to bring that baby to the mom. You got to lay that baby on the mom's body. Amen. The baby gets a little older. You still don't do that when a baby's nine months, one year. You don't do that. Well, if my little one-year-old's hungry, you know, they'll cook something. They'll make something in the microwave. No, no. Get them out of the crib. Put them in their seat. Open up the baby food and feed them with a spoon. Feed them with a spoon. You have to do it. They're not doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for themselves. It has to be done. You can't let these things fall through the cracks. Because if you did that in the natural, if you did that with a real child, child protective services would come and take that child away from you because that's a form of child abuse. And I'm sorry to say this, we have a form of spiritual child abuse going on in the church world because people are not being properly discipled, trained, equipped, and matured. And we just think, oh, they'll find their answers. If they need answers, they'll get them. They've got the internet. No, no, they need to be spoon fed. Paul said that first Corinthians three. That's, there's no shame in that. Not everybody's at the same level. We need it. Can you imagine making fun of a baby because they have to breastfeed? Can you imagine making fun of a, a little one-year-old because they have to be spoon fed? Can you imagine that? Look at you. So dumb, can't even pick up a spoon for yourself, can't even get that spoon into your mouth. What's your problem? It's, they're one year old, that's, that's the issue. Their motor skills aren't even there yet to feed themselves. And then people get, they don't understand this is the same in the kingdom, and you've got people that they're not able yet. They don't understand what they even need. That's why we put it together for them. That's what a discipleship program does. We have people ask, where should I start reading the Bible? Are you gonna make fun of somebody that's never been saved? So you don't know where to start reading the Bible? What are you, dumb? No, they're a baby. They're a baby. And they need to be shown. This is how you read the Bible. This is how you read the Bible. You know, I was like, my, my cousin uh, was having people saved out in the uh, d- different places in Hawaii. And they came back, never been to church before, never had Bibles before, any of that. And came back to the service to tell him, so excited and so proud of themselves. Hey, guess what? I know what a chapter is now. I know what a verse is now. And we look at that and say like, you know, like that's funny. But to them, they'd never opened a Bible. They didn't know what a chapter and a verse was in the Bible. They didn't know that. They didn't know where the books are or what the books are. They've got to be fed. 
And see, compassion causes us to do that. Jesus looked at them, saw they were like sheep with no shepherd. They needed to be fed. They needed to have spiritual food. Jesus said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we put together our own discipleship program. We make our own calls. We make our own emails. We make our everything. We don't want anybody falling through the cracks. We're here to help you. We are here to raise you up in strength. We are here to establish you. That's what the church is for. That's what the ministry gifts are for. For the equipping of the saints. Hallelujah. It's what they're here for. Amen. Compassion makes, rooms for, makes room for other people's faults. I understand people are going to make mistakes. Got no issue. I know it's going to happen. But they have to be able to accept correction as well. That's part of growing up. Amen. Look at this. Matthew. Actually, let's look at Mark 8. Just a couple, couple verses or a couple chapters ahead. Mark 8. Uh, I'll start in verse 1. Look at this. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. There it is. I have compassion on the crowd. Not apathy. I have compassion because they have been with me now for three days and they've got nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And the disciples answered, how can we feed these people with bread here in the desolate place? He said, well, how many loaves do you have? We got, uh, you know, seven, seven loaves. He gave thanks and he sat down, broke them and distributed them to the people, set them before the crowd and a few small fish. He blessed them, said, distribute these also. And they all ate till they were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full. What did he do? He had such a compassion on people had such a love for people that he provided for them. Glory to God. He provided for them. So love, compassion will teach. Compassion will provide. Compassion will what? Heal. Did you know? Jesus was moved by compassion and began to heal people. Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14 uh, and verse 14. The Bible says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there into a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Healed their sick. Healed them. That's what it does. It causes you. What did it cause God to do? Give his only son. It caused Jesus. Compassion made him teach the crowds. Compassion made him heal the crowds. Compassion made him provide for the crowds. Being moved by compassion, he healed them all. Being moved by compassion, he healed them all. See, that's the opposite of a spirit of apathy. I don't care. You know, people have issues. It's not my problem. That is a demonic mindset. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. I mean, you can't think like that. You can't live like that. It's not my problem. No. God's called you to touch this broken, hurting world. And here's the thing. You already know people that are hurting. It's not like you've got to go find people. You already know people that the enemy's attacking them. You already know people that need a touch from heaven. You are, and guess what? You're anointed. You're equipped. You're empowered. The devil is afraid of you. You've got all that it takes to make the difference. Glory to God. You are anointed. You are anointed by God. 
to do what only you can do. Do you know that there's people, that's why we don't put it all onto pastors and put it all onto evangelists and apostles and prophets and teachers. Because you realize right now that though you're a part of this victory tribe that are watching, that are listening, you know many people that I may never meet them one time in my whole life. I may never meet them one time. So uh, you can say, well, you know, God, I pray that, you know, brother, take it a hold of I, I don't know them, but you know them. And you have connection with them. They call that hot evangelism versus cold event. What's, what's the difference between hot evangelism and cold evangelism? Cold evangelism is when you go up to people that you have no idea who they are, strangers. It's like the World Harvest Team did on the streets, just went out uh, inviting people and praying for people and winning souls to Jesus. Did a great job. 234 souls came in in three days. Amen. And uh, that's cold evangelism because it's like making a cold call. You know, if you've ever been in sales, that they used to have you sit down and just take a phone book and start calling the numbers in the phone book trying to sell the product. That's a cold call. Why is it a cold call? Because you don't know the person you're calling. You don't know the person you're witnessing to. And that'll work. Praise God, that'll work. But you know what's very, very effective? Hot evangelism. What's hot evangelism? That's when you minister to people that you already have relationship with. This is a coworker. This is a friend. This is a loved one that you already have relationship with. God has given you entrance into their life. You have a love for them. You have a care for them, a compassion for them. And you're working to see them saved and brought into the kingdom of God. That's hot evangelism. Hot evangelism. And so when you, uh, when you understand God has called me to these people, you know, I used to teach my youth group back when I was a youth pastor years ago. God has given every one of us a circle of influence, a circle of influence. There's people that you know that your pastor may never meet, others may never meet, but you know them and see them on a daily basis, your circle of influence. And God has anointed you to touch and change your circle of influence. And he's given you the anointing to do it. He's given you a love for people to do it. That's why you have to guard yourself against that apathetic spirit. The devil would love. You know what that is? It's a form of selfishness. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about if I have enough. It's all about do I, you know, am I doing well? And if I'm doing well, you know, I don't really care much whether others are doing well. No, 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 no. It's not about us. It's about those God has called us to. Amen. And so that's why when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, a different kind of love comes on you. A different kind of boldness comes on you. When you get saved, the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to put it in the comments today. I have God's love in my heart. Put that in your notes. Put it in the comments. I have God's love in my heart. I remember when I, and you've probably heard me tell the testimony, but what's important about this testimony, yes, the testimony itself, the manifestation is amazing and wonderful, but the thing that brought me there is really the thing that makes all the difference. And that is, if you've heard me tell the story about the first time I ever saw a blind person healed, I was actually frustrated because we weren't seeing uh miracles like I wanted to see in our meetings. And so I began to pray about that. And I said, Lord, 
you know, I'm asking you, give us miracles and signs and wonders in these revival meetings. And the Lord literally said, I heard it in my spirit. You've gone as far as you can go at your current level of prayer. That was, that was the word that came to me. It was a rebuke, a correction that the reason you're not seeing these things is because you're not pressing in the way that you should. Well, I didn't get angry about that or bent out of shape. I prayed more. And the first thing I did before my next revival service is I began to fast and pray, fast and pray. I went on 21 day fast and pray and say, God, use me to see people changed and touched. Use me by your power. Use me for your glory. Begin to fast and pray. And at the end of that 21 day fast, my very first meeting was uh, at uh, Higher Life Christian Center in Sussex, New Brunswick at the time. And so I got there and we were having revival and that's the night that that woman came to, ch- to the service who had never been to church before and no one had ever invited her before and she came for the first time probably in her late 30s, maybe early 40s to church. And when I gave the altar call, she got saved. I mean, straight away, first one to the altar, gave her heart to Jesus. And then I said, we're gonna pray and believe God for healing. Uh, and when she heard that, she went and got her son, Timothy, brought him to the front of the line and said, pray for my son first. He's been blind in his eye for four years. And he was five years old. And, uh, or excuse me, for five years and he was six years old. And she said, uh, pray for him first. Well, I laid my hands upon him and I'm telling you, listen to me, I am telling you, I felt the compassion of Christ come on me like I never had in my ministry, in my life. Something changed, something shifted. I felt compassion. I felt compassion hit me. And it reminded me of that passage in scripture that the Bible says, and being moved by compassion, Jesus healed them all. I felt a love for that boy. I felt a love for that boy. I felt a compassion for his situation. And I laid my hands on his little head and put my hand over his eye. I said, Lord, and I just began to cry out to God for him. Lord, restore his sight. Take all the glory for it in the name of Jesus. And I mean, when I took my hand off that little boy's eye, he said loudly, and his mom even heard, I can see you, just like that, just like that. And when he said that, his mom collapsed to the ground and began to cry and began to thank God and praise God. First time in church, she'd never been to church before and saw that in her first time in church, the Lord could heal her son of blindness. And it opened his eyes supernaturally instantly. And she fell down and began to weep and cry at God's power, God's glory. And and I'm telling you, how did we get there? It, It wasn't because I'm so great. It's because God is so great. But in order for God to use me the way that he wanted to use me, I had to step out into a compassion for people. I had to get my flesh out of the way through fasting and prayer and begin to ask the Lord, God, Give me a heart for people. Give me miracles for the people. You're crying out. What would cause, think about this. What would cause somebody to not eat for 21 days and just pray for people that that are not themselves? What would cause someone to do that? Compassion, a love for people. That's what causes it to happen. You know, that's unheard of. So I'm not going to eat any food for three straight weeks and just pray for other people, not myself. Just pray that God would touch other people. God would touch other people. What is that? That's compassion for those that are in need. 
Compassion for those that are in need. And that's what we have to have. A love for others. I refuse to become jaded. I refuse. I refuse to become apathetic to this world's plight. What the devil's trying to do to my generation. What he's trying to do to my, uh, the, the young people of my generation. The students. The little kids. The attacks that are coming. Look at these school shootings. Look at this gender dysphoria. Look at the confusion. Look at the depression. Look at the anxiety. Look at the suicide. Look at the things that are happening. Look at the abuse in the home. Look at people that are being, uh, uh, there's no care. There's no care. And it's an attack of the devil. And we as the body of Christ are anointed and called to stand and fight the good fight of faith and to beat back the kingdom of darkness. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world. We are called to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came, 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we are called, he said, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these will you do because I'm going to be with the Father in heaven. What was he talking about? I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost who will empower you and equip you. And so now we are called to do the same works that Jesus did, to destroy the works of the devil, to heal the sick, to see souls saved, to deliver those that are bound and oppressed in captivity. We're anointed and we're appointed to do that very work. You're anointed. Don't ever let the devil tell you you're not. That's our call. That's what we're called to be. We're called to do. And we are warriors in the kingdom of God. We are those that are equipped fully with the armor, with the shield, and with a sword of the spirit, which is God's word. You're anointed today. Make that confession out of your mouth. I will never be jaded. I will never be apathetic. I will never lose my love. I'll never lose my care. I'll never lose my compassion. Make the confession. My heart is full of God's love. I love those that are broken. I love those that are hurting. I love those that are lost. And then just ask the Lord, God, today, make me an efficient worker in the kingdom. See, because here's the thing, and I'm finishing with this before I pray for you, and I'm going to pray for you. Here's the thing. If we miss this one, God has no ability to use us in the kingdom. How can he use people that don't care about people to touch those people? How can he use people who don't care about people to touch those people? He cannot do it. That's why you look at Jesus' example and the disciple is never greater than the master. We are not greater than Jesus. We are not greater than Jesus. And if Jesus had to pray, and if Jesus had to fast, and if Jesus had to study, and if Jesus had to get alone, and if Jesus had compassion on those that were in need, then the same is true for us. We have to pray. We have to fast. We have to study. We must have compassion on those who do not yet have the truth of God's word operating in their life. And I'm going to tell you, this being our year of transformation, one of the things I'm asking God to do is transform our families, transform our loved ones, transform our coworkers, transform our friends until everybody around us is serving the Lord. Till we can say, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Not we will in the future, we do now. We all serve the Lord. 
That's going to be our confession in Jesus' name. And then what are we going to have to confess? It's the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. It's the Lord's doing. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. Thank you, wonderful Jesus. And we're going to see it happen. We're going to see it happen. Father, I pray for all of the Victory Tribe, those that are connected to this ministry. Today I'm asking you, in the final moments of this series that we did, that you put on my heart to do, we thank you in Jesus' name. Doubt and unbelief will never fill our hearts in Jesus' name. We will never be governed by doubt or unbelief. Faith is rising in every one of us. Even the faith we received this week from these teachings, our faith is on another level in Jesus' name. Faith is rising. Faith is rising. Doubt and unbelief, not a part of our life. Number two, a spirit of fear will not overcome and overtake us, for you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So a spirit of fear stays far from our homes and our minds and our families. We do not operate in a spirit of fear. Spirit of offense will never come upon us. We don't hold grudges. We don't have uh, bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts against those around us. We refuse it in Jesus' name. We walk in forgiveness. We walk in love. And Lord, we'll never be jaded. We'll never be apathetic in Jesus' name. We'll never be lukewarm. We will never fall away from the faith. We'll never, uh, uh, our hearts will never grow cold as Jesus prophesied. That's not our story. That's not our story in Jesus' name. We're on fire. We're the remnant. We're the ones that you can use for any good work. We're vessels of gold. We're vessels of silver. Use us for your glory, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we give you praise. We're going to another level in 2023. Thank you for miracles in March. Thank you for miracles in March. In Jesus' mighty name. We give you thanks and praise for it. If you believe it, shout amen, throw some hands up and some fire up in the comment section. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.